Yeah, it is Gloria, yes. And uh, hallelujah, yeah. Strangely enough, the, uh, what we're looking at today, I am the door, doesn't fit easily into it being Pentecost Sunday, but we'll see where we go towards the end. What we're going to say, we're just looking at the moment at the seven I am's Jesus claimed uh, in John's Gospel in the New Testament. Last week we had Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This morning we're looking at Jesus said, I am the door. There's a bit of a blank already, isn't it? What's, what's this door? Is it a real door? I can remember taking a family service at Ramsgate and taking the door with me. And uh, they wondered why I was walking in the church with the door. But um, <clears throat> there we go. It caught the children's attention, speaking about the knot and that. Anyway, we're going to look at Jesus said, I am in the door. And the first thing we're going to do is actually read the passage that actually brings this wonderful truth to us. It's in John 10. When we're reading this bit in John 10, which comes to the point about Jesus saying, I am the door, it's actually connected quite strongly to chapter 9, where Jesus healed a man who was blind. And you can't, you can't take the two apart. Now, John chapter 9 is quite a long chapter. It's quite a story. And uh, we'll refer to it a little bit. I'm not going to read it because it's far too long for time this morning. Um, so let's read John 10, 1 to 11. I'm reading from the ESV. It may differ from some of the Bibles you have. Truly, truly, I say to you, and he's talking, referring back to John 9, he's talking to the Pharisees and the Jewish people. This is a, th these two chapters are very, very Jewish, like a lot of the other stuff in John 9, but we have to hold that in the back of our mind while we're reading it. Very, very Jewish. It's a whole culture and setting, and what Jesus is doing and saying is all set on the foundation of Jewishness. We'll come to that later. So truly, truly, I say to you, Jews, Pharisees, scribes, blind man, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, so what we've read in those first five verses, is figure of speech, very similar to a parable. It's not a parable, but Jesus was using it as to illustrate the things he was going to say. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. That could be us. Quite possibly it could be us this morning. We don't actually really understand what Jesus says to us. And if we're talking about Jesus said, I am the door, it's not going to be an easy thing to work at. And we need to concentrate and understand because to some people it's just a throwaway statement, but in actual fact it's a foundational truth to the whole of Scripture that Jesus said, I am the door, like the eye of the rams that he said. 
verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now what Jesus said when he said, I am the door, it's knitted in to the other part of the story, which is I am the good shepherd, which Mick, I think, is doing next Sunday. And I'm going to have to wrestle very hard the theme and the thought about Jesus being door away from Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and talking about the sheepfold. And we need to sort of take that out of the story on its own and trying to learn uh, what it's about. So Jesus is the door. When we read about the door, we have to understand it's... Well, we do understand. I know you're not stupid. It's not a real door. But it has other translations, and the better translation throughout to take in what is said through the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Bible, if you like, is Jesus said, I am the gate. Now, I know there's not a lot of difference, but it's an important thing because it's not necessarily a real gate or a real door, but more importantly, it's like a veil. It's like a separation. It's like something which is there. Not a door, but it's something which gives access. It's something which is restrictive. It is something which you can't just do what you want to, where you want to. It's something we have to face up to. That is a truth. Jesus said, I am, I am the door. Like I said, the context is very, very Jewish. And if we're going to understand the concept of the door, we have to understand the rise and the fall of the nation of Israel, its Jewishness, its future, its consummation, its blessing, a judgment and the promises. We need to understand in the context of this Jewishness, Jesus said, I am the door. You can't separate the two. I think we live in a day, both in the church and, uh, and outside, it, what you, you, we face in our society anti-Semitism, which is hatred against the Jews. And um, we also find uh, many churches have sidelined, sidelined thinking and teaching and understanding about the Jews and their history. Now, as a church of the living, and in some of the family of our churches, we've lost the appetite for the Old Testament and what we're taught about Jewish nation. And I think there's something we need to recover there, something we need to cover, not to go overboard because there's a lot of mistruth and what shall I say, stuff that doesn't need to happen in relation to this. But we need to understand that Jesus was a Jew. And he was actually brought up in a Jewish culture. He was circumcised. How much more Jewish could you be than that? But he was a child, he grew up in Jewish, so it's set in this background. And because of that, I want to look at something in a moment. So we need to hold in our minds the rise and the fall of the nation of Israel and its Jewishness. King Louis XIV of France asked a brilliant but 
agnostic, essayist, and commentator Voltaire, what is the best evidence for the existence of God? To which he replied, Sire, the Jews. Sire, the Jews. So we can't do away with the history. What we have today, here in Jesus' name, was birthed in Abraham. The man God called, and he said, In your seed, in your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The true seed, Abraham had a son, Isaac, which was his own true seed. But it's really speaking about Jesus, who was to come, who was the true seed. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Do you want to be blessed today? Do we want to know a blessing? Do we want to receive a blessing? We have a blessing already. And it's because God gave a promise to Abraham, who was a Jew. So what we're going to read, I am the door. Part of that door is the nation of Israel. Because Jesus came as a Jew. He came, we read the genealogical records, which tell us that Jesus came all the way. I'm going to read a bit from Romans 15, verse 8, that sort of underscores this. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant, Christ has become a servant to the circumcised, which is Jews. That means Jews. Jesus has become a servant to Jews. He was a Jew, and yet he came to serve Jews. He came to do what they needed and give what they needed. And to read on, he came as a servant to the Jews to show God's truthfulness. So he came to the Jews to show God's truthfulness, how God was working, what he was up to, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles, that's, that's us here this morning, and all other non-Jewish nations, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, we've been already glorifying God for his mercy this morning. Why? Because Jesus came to serve his own people. We are able to receive of the goodness and blessing of God. So we're always beginning to see that what we have today comes through an amazing door. Jesus. He is the door. In a moment, we need to look at the definition of the porter, the gatekeeper, or the watchman, whichever translation you have. And it says to him, the porter has one thing to do whatever that porter may be, whatever that watchman may be, and it's not a person necessarily. There is a guard on the veil of truth concerning Jesus Christ, which no man can interfere with. And it's the veil of truth. Now, Steve was talking about the truth last week. The veil of truth which no man can alter, change, 
or destroy because the Bible tells us that God's word will never pass away. The veil of truth, Jesus came through the veil of truth into this world. And the watchman watches that. And I'll talk a little bit about a little bit. The porter, this is important, the porter or the watchman he has one thing to do, opens the door to him. So there's a door. Jesus is coming through that door, of which later he's going to say, I am. You say, that doesn't make sense. Well, if you've got a Bible, um, Luke, can we have slide number, or whoever's doing that, can we have the picture number four up? got four, it starts with four. It's John 12, no, the other one, the other text. That's it. If you've got a Bible, if you just turn to this and read it, and just let it sink in for a moment. This is one of those verses, truths, that you have to look at and read over and over again to say, is this making sense? Jesus said, whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. Does that make sense or not make sense? It makes sense if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but if you're not a believer, it could be absolute nonsense. He who's looking at me, who sent Jesus? God. Whoever's looking at me sees the one who sent me. You think that's an amazing verse? I think that's quite amazing. But you have the same idea when Jesus, when we read the bit about the watchman opens the door who Jesus later on says, I am the door. It's the mysterious Jesus, the mysterious truth about Jesus. And I'm calling it the veil of truth. Because Jesus, everything of Jesus' coming, arrival, the promises, everything about him being I am, and I am the door, is actually according to the veil of truth. And we might call that veil a door. And I just want to read to you one verse in 1 Peter 1 verse 10. And it explains a little bit about the veil of truth and what makes up the veil of truth as far as Jesus is concerned. One Peter one verse ten. The prophets underline that who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. So in Peter, it's a letter written to Christians, and it says the prophets. So as Christians this morning, we own the prophets. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. The prophets searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, underline, 
in them, it's talking about patriarchs, people of the past, the prophets, godly men, the spirit of Christ was at work in them. The time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, underlined revealed, that they were not serving themselves, but you, in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven the things into which angels long to look into. Now the involvement of all this through history is all pointing to this one thing. Jesus said, I am the door. The prophets, the spirit of Christ, before he came, revelation, good news, the Holy Spirit, angels, are all things which make up the veil of truth or convey to us the idea, and what is all this really saying? What is it really saying? There can be absolutely no one else other than Jesus who is the way to God. Jesus said, I am the door. Our ideas do not matter. What matters is Jesus. Before we came here, we were thinking into this place, we thought for many months, shall we go to the vibe? What has God said? And it came to a point when we sort of said to ourselves, well, we think God has opened a door for us to go to the vibe. Well, we're here. And I think in that sense, we want to become a church that is an open door. We want to be a, a doorway for people to walk through that they might know Jesus. My encounter with a door was back in a shop in Folkestone many, many years ago. And uh, it was the last day, the opening day was the next day. And they were polishing all the glass windows at the front and I was walking in and out quite quickly doing things that I had to do. Well, unbeknown to me, the, uh, the guy who was cleaning the door, he shut it. And it was so clean I didn't see it. And I walked straight into it. And because I was working and Margaret was away in the caravan, I came in, crawled in behind her late at night. And in the morning she looked, she said, what have you been up to? And I had this big black face. My encounter with an ordinary, real door. But you know, we need an encounter with the one who is the door. Who said, I am the door. I just want to just back this up. Um, if we could um, have number one picture, Paul, up on here. I just want to show you something in the Old Testament. Some of you will already know it. So not that one, the picture. Right. This is a picture of the tabernacle in the, which we read about the Jews. God told them to build this thing. Uh, all the instruction was to um, have all this round here. And um, these are the Israelites all camped around here 
So in a sense, God was in the centre. You've heard Steve say before, we were waiting for the cloud to lift on Briary and move over to the vibe. And that's, in a sense, is where we get this thinking. You know, God was on the move, so we followed. Um, I'm just, when we come to the plan in a minute, but the strange thing is, there's only one entrance here. There's another one entrance there. And I'll show you in a minute. And inside, there's another one entrance. Now, these Israelites over here, why didn't God put a convenience door here or a convenience door there? I'm not talking about a toilet door either. And a convenience door here. Why was there only one way entrance into there? Because God gave all the details of this construction to declare the glory of Christ in sort of code form, if you like. But the glory of Jesus is in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. So talking about the Jewishness, we can't forget it. There's the other one up there, Paul, the, the plan one. That's the one. So this is the plan of it, of this bit that was in the middle. You enter through this one door here. There's another door here, which the priests went into. And the Holy of Holies, the priest went into that one once a year and not without blood. So you have this one here, one there, one there. But the wonderful thing about it is, and I'm not going to go into any more detail, but they all signify aspects of Jesus being the door. We cannot come to God, we cannot encounter God unless we come through the door. He is the only way to God. And it's progressive. We enter, we know the sacrifice, cleansing and forgiveness, worship, but in the holy place, we encounter God. The priest encountered God, and he either came out alive or dead. But they could encounter God, and we can. And you probably, if you've read the New Testament, you will probably remember that when Jesus died, the veil of the temple, which is very similar to the tabernacle, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. And it signified the way to God was now open. I think that's amazing, that when Jesus died, that big temple, which was so heavy to carry, was rent from the top to the bottom so that people could approach God. And that's where we are today. The other slide, Paul, can I just have it up there? Just quickly. Oh, that's the one, right. right. In John 10, just want to quickly resume it. What time am I meant to finish today? Five minutes, I've got 10. Ooh, hurting about. Okay, we'll go through it quickly. Right, verse 1, he leads them out. How they're in there, what they're in, is us to work out. He leads them out. Verse 2, he enters, so we put in, goes out. Verse 9, I'm the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Verse 3, verse 9, there's a change in it, they can go in and out. Quickly, the first one tells us about deliverance. 
In chapter 9, we're talking about a, a blind man who was delivered from blindness and he was able to see. He was also delivered from the clutches of his Jewish brothers who'd made a mess of religion. So all the, all the uh, restrictions of the law and the freedom he didn't have, he was delivered from that and he was given freedom, deliverance. Part of what God has done for us in Jesus as the door is that we've been delivered from who we are and what we were and we're delivered. And Paul says, the, the writer, St. Paul writing to one of the letters, he said, we've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So it's not an entrance only, it's the fact we've been delivered. So coming out is a deliverance. In the Jewish, Jesus came, we read earlier, to be a servant to the Jews. And that was to rescue his people, his own people, and then get them out of a mess. And that's what Jesus does for us. He gets us out of who we are and where we are and the mess we could so easily be in. He delivers us. It's not just any old thing and any old how. It's not just putting my hand up and saying, I believe in Jesus. I want you to know the spiritual implications here. It's the power of darkness from which he's delivered us. A satanic darkness, could be any sort of darkness, any hopelessness. He's delivered us. The deliverance of Jesus is part of salvation. We could go on and say lots more of that. There are some pastors who are into deliverance ministry because deliverance is an ongoing thing in our lives. We need to be delivered from the past. We need to be delivered from ourselves. We need to be delivered from lots of things. But deliverance is important. Like verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The understanding of that, I know us evangelicals love to think of it um, as salvation as such. But in actual fact, the, the interpretation of it is the fact that he who comes to Jesus is actually brought to a safe place. Now, there's not a lot of difference. But when we, when we find our salvation, our, our rescue, when we find Jesus to be the means of our hope and deliverance, we're brought to a safe place. No one can touch us. I think Elaine was reminding us on Thursday, in the hands of Jesus, no one can touch us. We're untouchable because the, what Jesus has done for us is so perfect and complete. So we come to the door, Jesus. So we come out of the door, people come out of the door to be delivered, whatever situation they would be. False religion, whatever. Come to Jesus and we can enter through him, which explains quite briefly that he is the way. We go through that door and there's no other door. That's the door of salvation. Deliverance, salvation, and the last one is encounter. I told you about my encounter with the door. But in verse 9, it says also, anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. 
Why is it in, out, in, in and out? That's a bit of the structure of the story in, in chapter 10. But what does that convey in your mind, the in and out? Well, first of all, I think it conveys a sense of freedom. Was it we were singing just now? I'm set free, oh, oh. True freedom is only known and found in Jesus Christ. True freedom. What may be holding you back in your life? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. But some people struggle and say, I can't. I don't seem to be get beyond that point. That's a door too. But Jesus, in and out. Well, what it really means is the in and out means the normal goings of, a, of people in their life, family life, if you can like, with God at the centre. So this freedom, this experience to move. It's a figure of speech that Jesus used, of normal daily family life with God, Jesus at the centre. That's the dynamic at work, encountering God through worship, family and mission. So I've called that encounter because the in and out sort of conveys that idea. We go into worship, we come out for mission, and we get involved in family life in the church. And that's our encounter. Praying and reading the Bible are other ways we can encounter God. But lastly, the way we encounter God today is through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost Sunday. And if you want to encounter more of God this morning, you just feel that need to draw close to understand more about him. We're going to worship again in a minute. But I'm just going to offer prayer. You know, if you just want to encounter more of the Holy Spirit. I can remember praying with many people who wanted to, felt they'd never received the Holy Spirit as a way of encountering God, as God's means of encountering him in a greater way. But this amazing door, which you can go in, go out, and come in, speaks of this liberation that Jesus has brought us into, this amazing grace that we sing about. So, Mick, Ivan, I'm going to be over there, and as we worship, if you want to come to to receive more of the Holy Spirit, I'll be glad, just happy to pray with you to know more of him or to receive a gift of the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday. It's the ideal time. It's the right thing to do to experience more of the Holy Spirit. Thank you.